Yo, what is cracking? Welcome to the A-Line Podcast. It is 2024, so I hope you had a good festive break and are ready to start building towards the race season, as it will be here pretty soon. Uh, it's going to be a big year, isn't it? We've got Olympics, all sorts of things to look forward to, so it's going to be great. We've also got some great guests lined up, some old, some new, some racers, some support staff, some people that work in the industry, a nice variety. So I'm really excited for this year. Thank you again for tuning in over the last year. If you're new, hello and welcome. Um, it's great to have you along for the ride and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So we have our first listener question of 2024 and it is, if I only do one cross country race this year, which should it be? Now this is a massive question, but basically, if you are only going to do one event, it needs to be memorable. So pick one you're going to enjoy and it's going to be fun. Do your research as well as courses. They vary and it is possible that some could leave you a little disappointed, whether that's because they're too easy and dull or whether they're too hard and you can't get around and you struggle, say, even to ride the beelines and stuff. So if it's the only opportunity you have to race, make sure to do your research. Likewise, try to do some research, chat to people on the strength and depth of field as if there's not enough people or if the level is too easy or even too hard then it's basically a time trial and you'll be riding around between the tape by yourself which isn't overly fun as well it's good to be able to um, race people whether that's battling for the win or whether you're battling for 20th and 19th place it's still good fun to get stuck in and have that challenge and go bar to bar with people isn't it so in terms of what you're looking for those things to consider as like general guidance, then personally, I'm really excited for Kiritri Forest, the national round, as it was an awesome course back in 2022 for national champs. Really natural, flowing, proper technical as well. So I'd really recommend that. As well as Canuck Chase is also just a strong, reliable contender. It's relatively central for travel. Um, and it's like holds up quite well in most weathers. It can get a bit buggy, but no course is perfect, is it? Then, of course, there's the two national champs as well, whether that's cross-country marathon or the Olympic distance, as well as short track. Um, I'm really excited for the Olympic distance, as that's my main focus, and I've not been to Dolby Forest, but I've heard some fantastic things about the course. So those are the events I'm looking forward to and maybe ones you might want to consider, but my initial guidance still applies, I think, whatever you're going to do, whether that's a small like um, go-ride level sort of event or whether you're trying to plan even a european trip perhaps pick something that needs to be fun and memorable and a suitable challenge and you'll really enjoy it i think don't forget this is your show so please keep your listener questions coming in you can send them direct on instagram to me or you can reply in the link under the show on your podcast app of choice um, questions are completely anonymous so fire away it's your show get what you want from it and it'd be great to hear from you now, it's time for the main event, what you've all come here for. Today, I chat to Chris Melman. We've actually made it across the pond and got our first US guest on the show, which is insane. Sadly, though, time and budgets didn't stretch to allow us to do this in person. We still had a great chat. It was awesome to hear how Chris is balancing training and racing the cross-country marathon discipline at such a high level. He gives some great insight into privateer life as well as the US race scene for any European listeners. So it's definitely worth a listen as well as following Chris on socials. You can also subscribe to his blog if you haven't already for some great updates on how he is doing. One thing Chris said once we'd finished recording actually is that he's more than happy for people to reach out to him as he likes to think of himself as a very approachable elite athlete and he likes to help people. So if you have any questions, etc., then give him a message. The best way to do it is probably via Instagram. So without further ado, let's hear from the man himself. Here's Chris. Good afternoon. Chris, how are you doing? Well, good morning for you. Welcome to the A-Line podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm Chris Melman. Uh, I am uh, yeah, an American over in, based in, normally in Colorado. Right now I'm in New England for the holidays, uh, so I'm about five hours uh, behind you. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, primarily an endurance mountain bike and gravel racer. Um, I, the longer, the better for me. Um, so I guess the, the way I got connected to this was uh, I met the Tom and Sam Stevenson uh, last year at Worlds in Denmark. Um, we kind of all finished together. Like I think Tom was ahead of me, one spot, one or two spots ahead of me, and Sam was like one spot behind me. Um, and then we kind of stayed in touch, and then we rode together before the Glasgow Worlds this year for marathon, cross country marathon, and then um, we finished right near each other again. <laughs> so I <laughs> can't get enough of each other. And so I listened to that episode uh, last week and. 
yeah, uh, that's kind of how we how we got connected. So nice. And and were you listening to the episode for like educational purposes, or are you trying to find the upper hand for the next race? Like, <laughs> well, uh, I did learn that uh, they they really like uh, exploring and stuff and uh, doing doing cool adventures, which I'm pretty jealous about. Uh, we'll see if they. I, I'm trying to convince them to come over to Worlds. Um, next year which is or, yeah 2024 which is actually in the u.s so the marathon mm-hmm. worlds have been snowshoe oh, super nice. technical course like uh, i did the world cup there this year and uh, i think it yeah it'll be really fun it's a big trip to get over there because snowshoes like about this middle of nowhere as you can get in the u.s it's super yeah. hard to get to but um yeah we'll see i mean i think we'll be um the might be a little bit of race overlap i know i think they're trying to do trying to d- dabble in some gravel which will be cool so yeah Nice. Well, before we dive into a lot about you, we'll um, grab your virtual coffee order because we're doing it across the Atlantic. <laughs> so we're out for a ride. And we stop to get like a snack and a coffee. Like, what do you normally get mid-ride? So it's pretty funny. I don't drink coffee. I think uh, me and Tom Pidcock might be the only two people who, only two cycles who don't drink coffee. Um, so I and I like. I like to stop sometimes if I'm with friends. Um, right now, it's not ideal just because it's like super cold out, and when you yeah. stop, you just immediately freeze. Um, but if I were to stop, I'd probably get a cookie or something. Uh, those are always good. There used to be a place down down the road from here, which oh, best pastries ever. I mean, they had donuts and stuff as well, but I'm not a big donut person. But they had like these gigantic cinnamon rolls, um, which were. I mean, you had one of those and you were fueled for the next like two hours, which is great. Um, fortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it closed down. But yeah, that's kind of if I if I uh, were to stop with friends, that's what I get. So nice. Well, fully sugared up, which is good. All about the carbs, isn't it? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. So we'll just stick with the water. That's absolutely fine. So <laughs> we've got we've got our snacks and stuff sorted. So, I mean, let's let's go back. Where did everything kick off for you? Um, so I started, I mean, I've, I've been riding my entire life, I guess, uh, just kind of like a normal, normal kid, you know, grew up riding uh, around. I started mountain biking, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, so probably what, like 10 years old, something like that. Um, my dad, you know, he mountain bike with one of his friends from work. Um, and I kind of started riding with him just for fun and did that, you know, you know, for a few five or so, five, six years, just for fun. Um, there was one summer where it's like before I was old enough to work uh, mm. and I rode every day, like nice. throughout the, at the summer, I did the same loop every single day. And I don't know how I did get bored of it. Um, yeah. And I, that was great just cause it was kind of a little bit of freedom when I didn't have, a, I couldn't drive anywhere, but I lived near enough to this trail system where I could just ride that loop. Um, yeah, and then uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, a local high school league started in New England. Um, oh, cool. So in the U.S., we have what's called NICA, which is the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, I believe. Um, and there had never been one in New England. And so uh, a bunch of people in New England got together and decided to start their own league separate from NICA. Uh, when I And so I went to like their first like you know get-together to learn about it, and there was like five kids started racing had a ton of fun i was starting at start at the jv level which is like there's like varsity junior varsity and there's some levels below that mm-hmm. um and there were 120 kids the first race and uh I, I actually just went back to watch one of the races last year and there were about 1200 kids um, so this is 2016 to 2022 um and yeah it's it's really really incredible to uh to have seen to have seen it grow but yeah i kind of got into it that way uh and then decided i wanted to start taking it a little more seriously um like i played the traditional team sports i played um you know i played well football for you guys uh (laughs) when i was younger um i played basketball i played lacrosse um i grew up skiing but i i really just was drawn to the kind of um solidarity i guess cycling and the kind of the the aspects of you know you can always um you can always do it throughout your life. You don't just have to stop after, after high school or after university. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I uh, just kind of started taking more seriously. Did my first national championships in 2017, and then a couple of years ago decided to um, kind of go. Uh, I was on a team prior to that um, doing XCO racing, and I I just didn't like XCO. I, I'm not explosive. I don't like riding laps of the same course, and so I started getting into marathon stuff, and then. 
started gravel in 2022 um and yeah just kind of taken it from there so nice i mean questions for the the non-us listeners is you mentioned obviously like the racing started sort of being it's linked into school like the sports system in the us a bit is that for mountain biking as well or is that just for like your conventional team sports so uh in in the us actually mountain biking is uh some schools have have their own like team that's officially part of the school yeah. But um, really, in the U.S., it's a mainly traditional sport. So, like, mm-hmm. American football, uh, soccer, or, you know, yeah. football for everyone else, <laughs> um, basketball, lacrosse, tennis, things like that. Those are the sports that traditionally played. And then some schools and pl- places where it's, like, really popular, that mountain biking, um, they'll have a team that's part of the school. But with the league I started in, it was, like, they were called composite teams. So, it would be, like, an area. So... You know, it could be like the North, I live on the North Shore of Massachusetts, not to be confused with the North Shore of British Columbia, which is like really famous <laughs> for mountain biking. Although we yeah. do have some features that are like pretty similar, like crazy rock roll and stuff, but there'll nice. be like a team for that area or there'll be a team for like Central Mass. And now it's gotten to be so big that there'll be a team for a specific town, but it's not necessarily tied to the school. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a separate thing. And the same goes with the, with universities. So we have uh, the NCAA, which is like our National Collegiate Athletic Association, um, which, you know, like when you watch American fo- collegiate football, basketball, that's all sanctioned by that. Um, cycling is not an NCAA sport, which is somewhat of a bummer. And there are mm-hmm. schools that have like varsity teams and offer scholarships, but they are tend to be like smaller schools and there are not too many of them. The school I went to, it was just a club. It was like, you okay. do it for fun and uh, it was really fun because, you know, the races are, uh, they're just a bunch of college kids hanging out together pretty much and having fun racing, uh, but it's it's not nearly as serious. So. Okay. No, that makes sense. It's, that sounds more similar to the UK sort of system. You can go through the national, like British cycling and stuff, but otherwise it's kind of you're left to your own devices outside of the education system. Um, no, that sounds really good. And then yeah, you've mentioned things kick off and then gravel. Like, did you have some success quite early on like what made you sort of stick with it and things and pursue it yeah i mean i think as a junior like i had pretty decent success early on i mean it's one of those things where i'm sure it's similar in the uk where you kind of end up racing the same like five ten kids yeah uh, (laughs) at at every race um so you get to know them really well and uh you kind of know where you are in the pecking order um and i think me and this one of the kid kept battling back and forth and I think 2017 was when I went to my first national championships and um, I think I started like 80 something and ended up like 19th or 18th or something. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, it was, it was really scary racing against all these kids and like the Baron national team kit, which was like the, like the probably the premier junior development team for, you know, kids from California and Colorado and stuff. But I was like, okay, like maybe I, you know, I should keep sticking with this and I, I really enjoyed it, but I think it was, it was just primarily like, I love the training side. I love kind of like trying to see how I can get better. I just like riding my bike. Um, like mm-hmm. I think if I didn't have a coach, I probably would ride like 30 hours a week if I could. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, th- I think that was kind of the, kind of the um, impetus for me. So Nice. And then you've mentioned being drawn into the marathon side of the sport things. War. Is that something you've like always preferred and now it's starting to step up you've made the leap or has that always been sort of your main focus and you've dabbled in xco uh really xco was my main focus early on just because that was especially as a junior like you know the high school races we did were 40 Mm -hmm. minutes long it was like a cyclocross race (laughs) um (laughs) and the courses you could have ridden on your cyclocross bike i mean they Uh, were like they were pretty easy because it had to be good for anyone from like age 10 through age 8 or age 8 through age 18 so oh, wow. like I couldn't be super technical. Um, I think my first marathon race was when I was 16 uh, and I had one energy gel over four hours and two <laughs> bottles of water, like any good junior who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I was probably, I, I recall like just being so out of it, I was pretty much hitting trees by the end. Um, and I somehow finished fourth, which is hilarious because I absolutely bonked hard, like probably <laughs> two hours into that race. But um yeah, I, I liked it, and I think uh, you know, I at age nineteen, I, I did Breck Epic, which is a stage race in Colorado. Um, okay. Highly recommend it. It's just it's at like 
starts at, at between 9,000 and goes up to like 12,000 feet. So it's like, you know, starts at almost 3,000 meters and goes up to almost 4,000. Um, wow. So it's, it's really high up, but that was, that was like my, you know, one of my first experiences really doing like, um, yeah, really, really doing a, a marathon style event. And I really liked it. Um, I decided to join an XEO team for 2020 and 2021. And I'll be honest, like, I don't think it was the best experience for me. Um, I think I just didn't really like the, I realized that, you know, wasn't really suited to the shorter stuff. Didn't like it mm -hmm. as much. And while most young people are born with a uh, really good sprinting power and stuff, I am definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I think once I, 2021, I kind of, you know, did my first hundred miler, uh, enjoyed that. Um, and then I did prep Epic again. Um, and then I just decided, you know what, 2022, I'm just going to go off, do my own thing, focus on the marathon, try some gravel. And I've, I've just absolutely loved it. So. Nice. Well, they always say fun is fast, don't they? So, you know, yep, exactly. Um, I guess just from like my limited knowledge of the U S side of things, like Chris Blevins always talks about short track being a bigger thing out there. Was that something you did as a kid as well? Or is it not really a thing? Honestly, like short track i guess it's it's that our uci races tend to have short track events tied to them but it's not like in terms of the amateur side and just local it's not really a thing occasionally okay. we'll have like there's like a there used to be like a short track training race just because it was so easy to put on because it doesn't oh, yeah. take any space and stuff um but really it's it's more just like our uci races had that um mm -hmm. and i think we also have a pretty big cross scene especially in new mm -hmm. england I, I, admit, I mean i'm probably embarrassed to admit i've never raced cross despite all my friends racing it uh, me living next to you probably you know, like two miles away from the former cycle cross national champion there's so many races around yeah. in, uh, in this area so i think like that style of racing is popular but in terms of short track um it's really just our UCI races have them, whereas you go to Europe and it doesn't seem like outside of the World Cups it's really it's really a thing. And yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't I didn't really do a lot of it when I was when I was a junior. Yeah. So. It's, it sounds like it wouldn't appeal anyway, so it's fine, right? No, I, I'm <laughs> terrible, absolutely terrible at short track. Like, uh, yeah, it's like my least favorite thing, I would say. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. You can't be good at everything, can you? So you know, yep. it's all good. Yeah. No, so like in terms of how your your cycling career has developed in terms of you mentioned teams and things and support how has that looked from junior through to through to now and what's your current setup and situation yeah so uh when i was a junior i um initially was on like the high school team and then i joined like a local club which is a lot of kids from well not kids um <laughs> i guess i can't say kids because i've done i've done university now but a lot of university <laughs> students and um you know people in their 30s and 40s from boston um a lot of people from MIT, so I'd say like the uh, intelligence level on the, on the on that team was pretty high. There was like PhD students and stuff like that. Um, uh, so yeah, I was that was that was really fun, and we got support from like a local shop. It's kind of probably similar to what we have in the UK. Um, and then yeah, and then I kind of did some more national racing and applied to be on their national team for 2020 um, and got accepted uh of course 2020 didn't really happen so we had i had like a couple of races with them and then i was on with them again in 2021 and they're like they're kind of like if you've heard of like hot tubes the road team in the u.s uh where mm -hmm. like magnus sheffield and and some of those people have gone through um or aj aj august as well uh bear is like the nat is like the the kind of the premier junior u23 development team so by that point i was under 23 um so like there used to be Bear and there used to be whole athletes. So Kate Courtney, Chris Blevins, they went through whole athlete, Kelsey Urban, whole athlete. Um, but so like Sevilla Blanc, she went through Bear. Um, okay. And R Riley Amos went through Bear, Bjorn Riley, all those guys. Um, so those guys were on the team at the same time as me. And needless to say, like, I mean, I was one of the worst people on the team. Like, I mean, those, <laughs> those guys are absolute freaks. Braden Johnson. I mean, they, it's really incredible the amount of talent we have in the U.S. at that kind of yeah. level. Um, yeah. And I, and I think like the support, the support was great, especially going to races, but you know, as I said, just like they really focused on UCI XEO, their goal was to develop the next Olympian. Um, yeah. and I think that's changing a little bit, but you know, and they, they probably will. I mean, I'm pretty sure Riley will be going to the Olympics at least if not this cycle, the next cycle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I decided to branch out in 2022, I just decided to do the privateer thing which i know is a controversial word um mm -hmm. some of the privateers you know it's like they've 
some of the privateers are making a lot more money than anyone on a factory team. Um, okay. Like if you look at people like Keegan and um, uh, Alexi, but that's not the case for most people. So yeah, I've just kind of, uh, you know, found sponsors through, you know, having connections and, and uh, putting myself out there. Um, so I just signed um, a contract with Pivot Cycles for 2024, which is really exciting. So I, I started racing with them back in, um, I started using their stuff back in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just buying it through a local shop and local shop has a really good relationship with them. They're, they're one of those brands that like, even through this really tough time, they treat their shops really well. And so like our shop's been really loyal to them and they've been loyal to the shop. And so, yeah, I really like their stuff. They, they make really, really good bikes. And, um, you know, when I was on Bear, I was, I was racing Trek. Um, and then when I got off Bear and then, um, I had like a year in between where I was on Specialized and then I really wanted to get back on Pivot. So I talked with the local shop, I'm like, Hey, can you, can you help me like get this stuff <laughs> for 2023? And so I raced on their stuff this year. Um, and you know, it just, it's been something I've kind of been aiming for for the last several years to get with officially be, uh, be with Pivot. And so that was really, really exciting. Um, it's a cool, cool brand to work with. And then, yeah, I've been working with, um, uh, a brand called Endurance Threads for Kit, which is like, uh, they're, they're a local brand in New England. Um, but they make really high quality stuff and really cool custom designs. So uh, obviously it's a podcast. You won't be able to, no one will be able to see it, but nice. I, I, they, we did like a custom kit for myself. They make a lot of New England themed uh, and Boston themed kind of things. They support the local community really well. Um, and then similar to that, Ride Maple is a wheel brand, which is owned by the same person. Um, so I've been using their wheels, um, which is great because it's, you know, they're, they're hand-built wheels and you can't really get any better. You can't really get any better than that. Um, customized, like I, you can build them up with like I-9 hubs and different colors. Um, and then Never Second as well, which I'm sure a lot of people in the UK have started hearing about. It's a newer, newer nutrition brand. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I think they're a second individual athlete, which I just got in really early and they've been incredible. And for what I'm doing, it's, it's really a unique competition. I think the Stevenson said this as well. Um, yeah. And so like, that's super key. Yeah, and then uh, working with Vittoria Tires, uh, which has been fun, kind of testing some of their stuff, um, and then Jobo Eyewear, and then Hammerhead, um, and then still getting support from JRA Cycles, which is a, a local shop. So it's kind of like a, it's primarily product support, um, yeah. which I think the reality is, like, to be totally upfront, my goal is not like, I'm, I'm never going to be Keegan Swenson, like, that's just unrealistic. I mean, there's, keep that guy's a freak. Uh, so... <laughs> For me, it's like trying to get enough product support and things like that where um, I can represent brands that I like really believe in, A, but also I I can get enough support where money from my job, which I actually just started a new job yesterday, which is exciting. Um, I can, that can, um, you know, that can fund my racing. And that's honestly, that's the way most of my peers, I would say at a similar level to me operate and even some people at a at a higher level and that's just kind of the way it works and unless you're really one of the top guys that's how it has to work so yeah that's fair i mean you you just mentioned the follow-on question i was going to say is um what what is what's your job how are you um balancing training and work and things yeah so i um i previously worked at like an active travel company so we did like international bike trips so if you think of like um uh, I think in the UK, like hot chili uh, is one of them, mm-hmm. uh, companies like that. Um, so I, I worked for them, uh, and then while I was in college and so I was balancing like uni- or university, uh, full-time and then a part-time job and training and racing. So that was yeah. a lot. Cause it's like, you know, you're doing, I'd say school is 20 plus hours a week. Training is 20 plus hours a week and then work is 15, 20. So it's like, it really it's it became a lot um but i do think like it was such a valuable learning experience because you you have to manage your time well and i yeah. i think like beyond the challenges it presents with racing um as a life lesson like you only can race at a high level for so long but like mm-hmm. you're going to be working on unfortunately you'll be working you're going to work a job for a long time so i think it's um it was a really good really good learning experience um and it also i think was a benefit to me because i i feel like if you're only thing going on this racing a once you reach age 35 unless you're valverde or alejandro valverde or something like yeah. that or nino Scherter, like you're done um, I mean, you're done high level racing, uh, even if you're able to make a living from it up till that point. 
but also it, it can be really stressful if everything uh, pivots around your results. Whereas, like, for example, Alex was a guy named Alex Wild in the U.S. who races for Specialized, but he works for Specialized as well. And so he's like, oh. well, my ink, my paycheck comes from Specialized from my job. So like, if I don't have a great season, it's or it's a race single race result isn't great. You know, I have other things to you know fall back on, and also I have not like a distraction, but like you have other focuses that are more important in a way. Um, and so for me, like I just started the job at a marketing agency. So we work with outdoor brands um, and outdoor brands as well as the cannabis industry, which is interesting because I personally don't have um, like use experience in the cannabis industry, um, but I do have a fair bit of marketing experience now. Um, and so, yeah, I think like for me, a lot of the, um, the in terms of finding a job, a lot of it for me right now is like, what fits with racing and what's a good learning experience. So those are the two yeah. most important things just in my age. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to have that, have something else going on. That's more important in terms of the, the grand scheme of life. So. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's something in common with most of the guests, most of the guests are balancing something, either full-time or part-time employment alongside racing. Yep. And they say it helps keep that, maintain that balance. And it's like you said, you almost need that distraction, that sort of, structure i guess otherwise if you just trained all the time it would be you do a lot of junk miles and things perhaps um inadvertently so yeah no that's good yeah that's some good sound advice definitely i like that um and congratulations on the new job as well <laughs> that's, that's really cool thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so that's been a really cool look into like your past where you've come from and how you sort of got to where you're at what is the plan for like next year and things how is it all shaping up yeah, so um, I'll be honest that like I actually just wrote a blog about this that for me, I think season planning is like the worst part of the season because <laughs> it's it used to be with XEO, like I'm sure it's similar in the UK, like there's kind of one series of races you can do. Like yep. if you're trying to do high level XEO, there's maybe six, seven races in the season. Um, with marathon and gravel, I could probably race like I could probably do like 200 race days if I wanted to. Wow. Um, it's I, it's really unbelievable. So narrowing it down, figuring out what fits, figuring out costs and things like that is challenging. Um, so previous years, my big focus has been Unbound XL um, and then uh, Marathon World Championships. Um, so Unbound XL is like a 350 mile gravel race. Um, it's part of like the Unbound series of Unbound. Yeah whole unbound event where you probably most people here for the 200 mile which is part of the lifetime grand prix like keegan won that last year um you get guys like uh yeah like lachlan i think uh, danny shrewsbury from the uk got like fourth or fifth at it last year mm -hmm. um so it's a you know it's a big event the 350 is like for the outcast you have no life and want to go ride 350 miles <laughs> um so yeah i've done that the last couple of years uh, but in 2024 i'm uh, going to be doing actually a european block in may so i'll be doing the chaka 360 in girona um okay. or the 560 i haven't fully decided yet um i nice it's because it's, it's in kilometers so 360 yeah. kilometers is more like the 200 mile unbound just hillier and then the 560 is like the, the 350 at unbound so yeah and then i'll be doing the uh the XEM World Cup in Nova Mesto. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of uh, TBD as to the date because the UCI still hasn't released their XEM <laughs> calendar. And then hopefully another marathon in Germany. Um, outside of that, like I'll kind of stick to more of like my traditional calendar in the early season. So like in March, I'll be doing Mid-South, which is like a, it's a 100 mile gravel race in Oklahoma. Um, doing one in, uh, after that in Texas. Um, and actually, those two will be with Joe Laverick, um, who... Yeah, UK guy. Um, he was on Hoggins in action um, and lives in Girona now. We met at Unbound last year, and he's racing for the Rebel Collective. Um, oh, nice! And so it's kind of it kind of is nice because we can share housing, but also like he's coming from Europe and he won't have a car, and I have a car, so I can yeah. drive drive him drive around places, which just makes it easier. And then the other big changes, I so I won't be doing Unbound, but I'll be doing um, Oregon Trail, which is a gravel stage race. So like. I've done several mountain bike stage races, I think four or five of them now. Um, but I've never done a gravel stage race. So I'm like, oh, this seems cool. Like, let's yeah. try it. And it's like, it's all-inclusive pricing. You get to camp. So they provide you a tent and they provide you everything you need. They transport your luggage. And wow. it's like a, like a summer camp uh, <laughs> for, for bike racing. So yeah. I've heard amazing things. So yeah, me and Joe are doing that one uh, in late June. And then the 
uh, kind of end of summer will be like Leadville and Leadville 100. I've never done mm-hmm. that. And then Brett Kepik. And that's going to be a little bit stupid because I'm doing their back-to-back. So Leadville Saturday and then Brett Kepik is six-day stage race, which starts Sunday. And Whoa. it's all at like 3,000 meters. So I probably will regret that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. It sounds like a fun idea now. So, and then I'm trying to go back to Marathon Worlds and, um, uh, in Snowshoe, West Virginia in September. But that's like totally dependent on whether I get selected. So. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a good, fun, hectic year. Sounds yeah. Sounds really good. <laughs> so what's what's the other than well, what are the changes you've made to your training and approach um compared from coming up through XCO and going into XCM and gravel and things like that? I definitely do a lot more volume now and I think that part of it is just due to getting older. Um like you know, I'd say at average eighteen to twenty hours a week. Uh, upwards of 25 Uh, so like next week should be like 25 or so on the bike and then i do like gym as well Mm -hmm. um i definitely do less of like the super super high intensity intervals i still do that prior to races like um say for example um world marathon worlds because the reality is that race is like it's like an xco start it's super fast super hectic and you're trying to get position um and the level's so high that even if for the front guys it's not an xco start for me it is because i'm starting near the back and i'm not as strong as them so <laughs> yeah i mean and i think um i guess that's also another thing i enjoy about the marathon stuff is i do get to do a lot of long rides and training and even in the winter like i mean i love this time of year like okay sometimes it sucks and it's like you know, one degree Celsius and raining, um, which is <laughs> yeah. absolutely the worst weather. But Definitely. there are is an amazing group of friends um, when I've been back home here in, um, in New England uh, and who are willing to go out and whatever. And we'll just go and ride together for these crazy long rides. And yeah, around the holidays, it's super pretty. Everyone has their lights up and stuff. So yeah, I think that's like um, another thing about training for the for the marathon stuff that's um that's great but then yeah i think another thing is i've kept up the gym work a lot Mm -hmm. Um, that's just like so key i've i've really found like i think traditionally a lot of cycles were like oh just do gym in the winter and then stop it but you're riding so much you just kind of will eat up all that muscle and (laughs) you'll lose all that strength within a month um so yeah gym work is um super key uh, and then I've been trying to get into more like the activation exercises prior to riding. Yeah. So that's like one of my probably new year's resolutions is every ride. And I've been super, I'd say pretty consistent about it. Like pretty much every day, like doing activation exercises in the core right before riding. And you just feel like so much better. And I think it's super easy right now as a 23 year old to say, Oh, I'm fine, whatever. But I'm sure when I'm like 50, I'll be like, man, like I'm glad I did that. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I think that those are kind of the big, the big things with training. So. Nice. No, that's cool. Um, I try to ask most of the marathon racers this because a lot of people seem to think that marathon is like a, an easier version of cross country, but is it a case of it's just a slowed down Olympic race slightly, but it still hurts as much? Does that make sense? Because you're still racing, aren't you? But it's just longer duration. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. Like for some people, marathon would be so much worse. Like if you like short, intense efforts, marathon would be mm-hmm. absolute hell. For me, I love marathon because I hate really, really short, intense efforts. But I think one big difference is marathon can be inc- and gravel can be incredibly mentally draining because you're you're just suffering for so much longer, um, and sometimes you're alone as well. So it's not like oh, like. I have, you know, people to pace me and things like that. And people I'm actually racing. Cause sometimes when you get caught up in that racing element, you kind of forget about the suffering, but if yeah. you're alone and just trying to grind it out and trying to like stay on the gas, it's really hard. Um, so I think the big thing is mental. Um, and you're still going hard. I mean, I, you know, at the start of a marathon mountain bike race, like you can still be doing like 20 plus minutes of like full gas threshold. And then you realize, oh, I've still got like five hours after this. <laughs> um, yeah. or, or like, you know, with Unbound XL, like it starts relatively easy. But like, I think the first seven hours this year before you hit all the mud, was like, I think I, no- I normalized like 270 watts for like seven hours, um, which like normally would be like, oh, okay, whatever. But then you're like, well, I still have like, still have like 300 miles or 280 miles left after this and so you kind of just have to forget about that element um 
so I guess it, it's it's you know horses for courses. Like it, yeah, for some people, yeah, some people will love it and think marathons. E- nothing's easy, but marathon is more fun. Some people mm-hmm. will think like suffering for eight hours plus. Like, why would I do that? That's stupid. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I guess it's whatever floats your boat, isn't it? Um, yeah, very much so. I was really surprised to see um, well, Avancini win the marathon worlds this year. That was a bit of a surprise. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, I think he won it in the past, and I guess it is one of those things where, like, I've heard comments from people like, oh, this just shows that the marathon riders are not that good, um, which is kind of a disappointing to hear, mm-hmm. where it's like all oh, these XEO, like, you know, Mona Mitterwalner and, and yeah. Arnie Gavancini show up and, and clean up, but, like, I mean, it's all, like, relative, so mm-hmm. for me, like, you're facing against those European marathon guys, it's like, Holy crap! These guys are just insane. Um, yeah. And sure, Andre Gavincini can come and win, but I also think like you can be competitive at marathon. Those those top XEO guys are training insane volume anyway, so yeah. they have the base. And even if they've lost a little bit of that sharp end, hmm. you can make up for that in a marathon. Whereas like if you miss your clip end at the start, or you have a bad start in general, unless you're Pavecock and can like reel your way through 50 people you're not gonna make up enough spots in by the end of an xeo whereas a marathon you have that chance it's more usually more passing um mm. so yeah i i think uh it, it wasn't totally surprising to see um but i mean the top the top marathon guys are they're yeah they're really good and uh, i think it's just it's just that those XEO guys, um, I mean, they are, they tend to be like, if you're, if you're the best in the world, you tend to go into the XEO side of things because it's an Olympic sport and a lot yeah. of those guys want to get Olympic medals. So. Definitely. No, yeah. It's just uh, interesting. Nice. No, interesting yeah. to hear. Good observation. Um, no, it sounds like you've got a really exciting year planned, even though there's lots of options, which is a nice problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a very good problem to have. Yeah, so that kind of like ties things up quite nicely. So we'll roll into like the, the standard questions we ask everyone. Yep. So the first one is your hits and shits. So a hit is something you really like about oh, mountain biking. It can be a component like the invention of the dropper post. It can be um, marathon becoming its own discipline. It can be just something positive, basically. And then a shit will be the opposite. So it could be prize money is not high enough it could be fitting tubeless tires or things like that so it could be absolutely anything so uh, yeah in any order what are your hits and shits uh i guess hits would be uh two things would be exploring new areas Mm -hmm. and meeting really cool people um i do think that maybe i'm biased but i think mountain bikers tend to be a really friendly bunch um and you get to meet yeah like really awesome people around the races a great community and I personally am not the most like I'm pretty outgoing in terms of talking to cyclists, but I've never been to a call. I never once went to a university party. Like that's not my thing. So for me, like um, it's been really great to find that community and then explore new places. I mean, like I've been to places uh, in the U S I never would have expected to go to and learn different aspects of history. And, you know, in Colorado, you see old like mines and new England, you see a, all these old historic stone walls and stuff. And then you get to go to Scotland, you get to learn kind of the history of like, you know, why is this hillside have trees planted in perfect order in the new one about yeah. like sheep grazing and stuff like that. So yeah, I think uh, that's kind of the, the hits. And then the shits would be, um, I think there is, uh, there's definitely aspects of racing at a high level that are not totally glamorous in terms of like traveling. Um, mm-hmm. My brother's a runner and sometimes I'm like, man, so easy to be a runner and travel and just pack a pair of shoes yeah <laughs> for me it's like so many bike parts um yeah i think i think that's it and then also um i mean i think i'm known for enjoying riding in the winter um but i mean of course there are days when the weather is really terrible and of course you don't want to go out the door and you have to and usually once you get out there it's fine yeah but just getting ready to go and stuff like that can can suck so yeah I'd say those are the shits that's good. I mean, some of those are new ones. It's really interesting what you said about like not being sociable on the bike, but very not antisocial. But like personally, it like I went to a new group ride last week and it was great. I spoke to every single person. But if I went to like a wedding or a house party, I'd be sat in the corner, wouldn't know what to do. It's it's really strange, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where, uh, like, for me, just general social, like, events can drain me. Like, if I'm just sitting there at, like, a, I don't know, a cocktail party or something, yeah. I'm just, like, you finish that. I'm like, oh, just felt like I did, like, intervals or something. I'm so tired. Yeah. But, like, when you go to a group ride and you meet new people, like, you feel energized. And I think there's something about that. Um, and I think it's made me a lot more outgoing uh, mm. in general. So, I... I yeah, I'm pretty thankful for that. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you're totally right about like the the energy and like the battery. Like, it's almost like you go to a job interview or you sit like a math exam or something like that. It just drains yeah. you, doesn't it? Um, certain situations, but then you go for a group ride with your mates or or even strangers, and it's just it's just cool. So, no, it's good. And like you've mentioned already, you've made some great friends along the way. So, yeah, it's a really cool hit that one. I like that. That's good. Um, next up, we have what is your best training session so this can you can have two if you like you can have the one that's the most fun and the one that does you the most good because they may not always be the same <laughs> um i would say i mean most fun hands down endurance ride <laughs> like yeah. i think this is pretty standard for anyone who does marathon racing but i love just going out and exploring with friends and, and riding with friends um and i mean i guess it is a, there's a pretty effective training ride but i think uh Oh, best one would for performance would probably be, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I would say gym. I, I hate going to the gym. Like I absolutely hate it. But like in terms of like undervalued performance benefits, not even performance benefits, but just injury prevention. Like it's, it's probably the best thing you can do for your body. Um, so I would say gym as much as I do not like going to the gym. I like the effects it gives you in terms of, not even just getting strong, but just like not getting, having overuse injuries and knee issues and all that stuff. So. so is that a focus when you hit the gym? Are you, are you lifting and things for more power or are you specifically focusing on like trying to undo the bad things of riding like posturally and things like that or a bit of both? A bit of both. Uh, I mean, I'd say like, if you look at like time, most of my time is spent doing like what you consider physical therapy exercises, yep. uh, which are just part like band exercises, you know, trunk strength, hip stability, like anything like that. Um, I do have like two key lifts I'll do. So like squats and deadlifts, but mm -hmm. the reality is um, it's pretty laughable how little weight I'm lifting, how, but still how heavy it feels for me. So yeah. like it definitely helps build power uh, and just like force, which is good for like really steep climbs, but I've never, I'm never going to be like a super powerful rider. I'm never going to be the like uh tipo nice and a cycle cross bike riding up this crazy steep climb <laughs> in like a at 20 rpm like that's not yeah. that's not gonna be me but it's it makes you feel so much so much better on the bike um so yeah i would highly recommend that to to anyone even if you hate going to the gym it's it's worth it for sure yeah it's the time of year to do it as well even though like you said it's good to get out in the rain and things sometimes it's just too wet or snowing and you just have to it's good to hit the gym instead of just watching tv <laughs> yeah exactly Nice. That's some, that's some good sessions. Thanks. That's the first time we've had Jim mentioned as well. So that's good too. Um, can you finish this sentence? If I wasn't racing bikes, I'd be dot, dot, dot. I mean, I guess I theoretically should say I'd be working as a digital marketing specialist because that's my <laughs> job now. Um, and the reality is that's probably not the answer because I think I was really lucky that cycling also provided me with connections and with a level of experience that showed me that, oh, this is something I want to do as a job because I'm working for a company that's like tangentially related to the cycling industry and the outdoor industry. And I think part of being a quote unquote privateer is having to market yourself. Yeah. And when you're writing sponsorship proposals, you're essentially applying to the job. Mm. And when you're you know, using social media, it's the same sort of skills. And so I realized it's like, I'm building all these skills for myself. Like I like doing this. Why don't I, you know, try and do this as a job? Um, so yeah, I think if, if I hadn't ever gotten into cycling, uh, seriously, um, I have no idea what I'd be. Um, I probably would just like try and work in some sort of business capacity. That's probably what I'd be doing realistically, but honestly, yeah. I, it's really hard to tell. So. That's fair. No other hobbies? Like you're not a musician or really uh, something else? Very or... terrible. No, definitely not Definitely not a musician. I mean, I used to love skiing, um, but I don't okay. really perceive much much work in the skiing industry. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I'd say 
maybe something with writing. I do. I've, I've always loved writing. Um, okay. I, you know, I, uh, did a political science degree in university. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of my strong suit academically. Um, so maybe, maybe something with that, but yeah. Nice. I mean, just off the top of my head, have you got any advice for, let's say there's other privateers out there in the UK or Europe, wherever it may be, or the US that are looking to get support? Like, how do you, have you got any tips that you've learned along the way of how people should approach it and what to do, what not to do, maybe? Uh, one thing not to do is just to go ask for stuff. Um, <laughs> I think that's the standard junior thing to do is like, yeah. hey, I want some free stuff. Um, the reality is like, and, and I, I think the problem is, is you, you see the top level professionals maybe not really representing their sponsors super well. So for example, you see Chris Froome like ragging on disc brakes and things like that. And, you know, certain aspects of his bike. And it's like, well, guys paid like 5 million euros a year. Like really, is that what you're supposed to be doing? Like at the end of your day, your job is to entertain and to represent your brand and to represent the sport. Um, and so I think it's important just to, um, yeah, just, just to consider that and also find brands that you really align with. So mm-hmm. like, I'm very lucky where like, you know, I, I literally will tell people like <laughs> when I was riding other bikes, like what, if you, I think my mom asked me like, if you could, if you could ride like any bike, what would it be? And I was like, well, I'll pivot. Cause I've ridden their stuff before and it's super well engineered. And so I think finding brands you genuinely, genuinely align with, like, of course it's hard to show that. Yeah. You, you know, true. Like you would want to ride this anyway, but like I literally bought their bike last year, <laughs> two of their bikes <laughs> last year. Cause I wanted to ride them. <laughs> so it's like, um, nice. yeah, finding that. And then I, I think, uh, just developing connections. I mean, I think it's this, it's, it's a really useful skill to, to learn in terms of the business and, you know, regular world as, as well, but like cultivating those connections, um, using friendships. And I, I mean, I hate to say it, but cycling, you know, a lot of it is built on those connections you build. Um, yeah. so I think being willing to put yourself out there, talk to people, um, and, you know, maybe something doesn't come immediately but mm. maybe something comes in the future. Like I'll be totally honest, my new job, I met my current, my now boss uh, five years ago when I was working in a bike shop wow. and uh, roundabout way this ended up turning into a job five years later. So nice. yeah, that's, I think that's something you need to think about as well. So. Yeah. I think that's all really good. And often people think too much about what they're going to get or what they want rather than what they can offer to brands and things if you just go to someone and say give me free stuff they're not going to give you anything but if you go to someone look i'm doing all this cool stuff that can help you in this way in return i want a bike frame or whatever it is then it's you're more likely to get a positive response aren't you the next question is what would be your best value upgrade like cycling as a whole it doesn't have to be a component it can be a service it can be a, a jacket it can be anything uh I would say coaching and I know you're okay. you do coaching. Um, I, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I, I think it's, so I'm spending, I used to be spending $150 a month and now it's $200 a month, which I think is criminally cheap for the service I'm getting from my coach. Uh, it's a guy named Neil Burton in the U S um, mm-hmm. and more than a coach, he's a mentor. I mean, I ask him life advice. He gives me advice about work and at school and everything. And, it's like having a therapist to coach in one <laughs> like a therapy <laughs> session probably costs like a hundred dollars a session, but I'm getting paying $200 a month for everything. And yeah. I think also there are two types of people. And I'd say most of the high level athletes, it's holding them back, which is definitely, I'd say the case for me. Some people it's like, especially in the winter, UK, Northern U S motivating to train. Yeah. Um, but also most people have kids, jobs, school, all that stuff. So, figuring out how can you get the most out of your time. Um, I think it's, it's one of the best things you can spend money on. And then the second thing would probably be, uh, yeah, gym membership and physical therapy and, Mm -hmm. you know, and bike fit, things like that. Little, little adjustments. So kind of working on yourself versus just paying for nice stuff. If that makes sense. (laughs) I think those are, those can go a really, really long way. 
Yeah, that's good. That's a very good point because most people, if they got on Tim, um, Tom Pickott's bike, they wouldn't ride as fast. But if they had his support, maybe they'd go a lot faster. Yeah, his support and, and his genes. But yeah, like yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, his. Uh, <laughs> You could put, I mean, I hate to say it, you could put Nino Schroeder on a uh, a Walmart bike. And okay, yeah. he wouldn't be as fast as on his Scott, but he'd be pretty fast. Um, and I yeah. think he might break the bike because they're notoriously <laughs> not very well made. But if he didn't yeah. break the bike, he'd be fast. So I think it's it's important to consider that. And um, yeah, you can you can make yourself a lot faster uh, just by, you know, working on yourself and, and paying for the right the right things if that makes sense nice no that, that that's a good one that's a good one and um yeah it's that time of year when people start thinking about it so that's some good advice because the season's coming isn't it so yeah that's good um tied into that is what would your best piece of advice be to the average racer like myself um i would say just this is going to sound kind of not cliche, but just like, go have fun. The reality is like, I think some people take it so seriously, like in this, this includes pros, like absolutely includes pros. Take it so seriously and get so caught up in every little detail of the race that they kind of lose sight of why they're doing it. Cause at the end of the day, like, okay, if I, if I was Tom Pidcock, I'm yeah, I'm getting paid to win races. But like the reality is, um, even looking at a lot of my sponsors, they want me to do well, that's for sure. But they also want the stories behind it. And they yeah. also want to see me have enjoy racing. Um, and I think like, if you're enjoying racing, that's what matters. Like, otherwise, why are you doing it? And the same thing goes for pros. So I think just go out there, have fun and also like, take advantage of what the cycling community can offer, like develop mm -hmm. those friendships. Um, because yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's such a great way to spend time with people. I mean, even around the holidays, like I love spending time with family on the holidays, but like, there's something about going out for a ride, like, and finding that friend who will like go out for a ride when it's like kind of crappy UK or New England weather. And yeah. there's something so nice about those connections that like, I, I wouldn't trade anything for it. So. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting that almost everyone says have fun. Um, no matter sort of what level they're at. So that's really interesting advice. And like you say, it's, it's even if you are getting paid like the top end, like Nino and things, if, if they weren't enjoying it, they wouldn't be able to perform because it's not like you, so we've all done jobs. We hate like say picking up trash and things, haven't we? But um, if you're trying to have to perform at a high level, then you definitely have to be enjoying what you do to be able to apply yourself to it. Yeah, I, I think like just one example would be someone like Tom Dumoulin, who's I, I you know, I don't know how much your listeners follow road cycling, but he um super successfully won the Giro d'Italia, like mm -hmm. time trial world champion, all this stuff, took a break from cycling because he was burnt out and came back and then realized I hate this and just quit. And and I think like I was listening to um obviously your listeners probably know who Garrett Thomas is. Yeah. Um listen to his podcast episode with Tom Dumoulin and it was really interesting hearing how much respect Garrett had Garrett I probably can't pronounce Garrett correctly um, <laughs> which he had for uh for Tom Dumoulin like saying you know it's really good to hear that like you're willing to admit like I wasn't enjoying this and I'm gonna stop and I don't care what people think about it because you could yeah. tell Tom Dumoulin was so much happier and yeah. I know so many kids especially who've been burnt out because they're just trying to chase like the highest level possible they're trying to get in that development team which can be a pressure cooker and honestly what i've told those people that age especially is like well are you having fun right now and they're like yeah like i love it right now i'm like well i would just stick with what you're doing because the reality is like i know a lot of kids who've tried to go like progress things too quickly and they burn out and mm -hmm. i think like you see the pogatars you see the Riley Amos is, you see all those people who are succeeding. What you don't see is the people who burn out. And at the end of the day for them, it's, they end up usually being happier once they leave the sport. Um, but mm -hmm. I think for me, it's like, well, beyond racing, I want to have a long career in the sense that I want to be able to ride my bike a long time. <laughs> that's yeah. the most important thing. So yeah. I think it's important to think about that. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Some sound, that's some very sound advice um, that people can apply throughout whether they're kids listening or adults. Uh, yeah, that's really good. 
Um, the next question is, what's like one thing that you, you do um, that really helps improve your performance or your bike experience? Like if you could recommend me to do one thing, whether it's every day or once a week or once a month, um, that really helps. I mean, uh, probably going to bed early. Um, okay. I, yeah. I go to bed at like 8.30 p.m., yeah. uh, which is kind of, you know, kind of crazy people are here a university student going to bed at 8 30 p.m and that's especially yeah. in the u.s it's definitely not up the norm um but i mean that's so key like i yeah like the last i've traveling the last couple of days like i've not been getting quite as much sleep of course and because we have delayed flights and all that all that jazz and um it's noticeable and i think that's super key um and it's free so it's like yeah. it's pretty simple to do uh so yeah just like making sure you're going to bed and i think a, a, and one thing to young people is a lot of I, i'm assuming this is the same in the uk a lot of university students talk about pulling all-nighters and like how late mm-hmm. they have to stay up to get all the work done i've never for school work i don't think i've ever stayed up past 9 30 um mm-hmm. there's and that's that's balancing a job for three plus years of, of my college education and training on the side and like there are ways you can make it work, but you don't have to do that. And uh, it'll yeah. it'll pay off not just for racing, but also just in life in general. So, yeah, no, it's very true. I think I was the same. I don't think I ever. I always, yeah, it was. It's just organization, I guess, isn't it? And yeah, exactly. even like doing yep. this alongside work, the podcast and things, it's kind of never never up till midnight the night before editing. It's like <laughs> it's all yeah, just get exactly. it done. Yeah. So, that's some sound advice. Go to bed early and oh, like you can then fit in training if your time in general is more organized, can't you? And you enjoy it more, less pressure. So yeah, yep. we've not had sleep yet. That's a good one. <laughs> yep. And you don't need a whoop. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I'm not sponsored by Whoop. Is included. I, I have a whoop and I mm-hmm. cancel my subscription uh, mostly because it gets in my head, but mm. also like going along with sleep. I mean, my coach always told me this, just like listen to your body and, yeah. The whoop is nice at times, but the reason why I cancel my subscription is because it would just like I'd see all oh, you have a low recovery score and that would screw with your head for the training day. Whereas like if you just listen to your body, hmm. I mean it really is like the best thing you can do. So Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Just listen to your body, don't force it. Um, don't worry about the numbers too much when it's not right. So no, that's really cool. Um, have you got anything else you wanna throw in or chat about? Um, I think that's it. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at C Melman, M E H L M A N three, four. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think like, I'd love to get back over to the UK to ride, especially, uh, in, uh, uh, like interleafing area. Um, yep. so that was just, yeah, ab- absolutely. Tweed Valley really like those, those rides that were really, really cool. The world's course is really cool. Um, and I wish there was more marathon racing in the UK. Uh, it seems like, unfortunately, the scene is not quite as quite as big, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, yeah. But, yeah. No, well, are there any big shout-outs you want to give? I can stick links in the show notes to your sponsors and things, but is there anyone you want to say a big thanks to before we call it a day? Um, I think one, a couple people would be like, well, A, my, you know, I think my parents, it's, it's been really great having parents who, don't really know anything about bike racing or never came from that background, but also are really supportive, but also don't pressure me. Yeah. The other thing would be, and this is goes to everyone. I'm sure there's a lot of people who can you know, share the same sentiments, but like having people who really care about you as a person in the racing side of things and give you advice. So there are people like, like Chris McKernan, a friend of mine here, Brian McGinnis, who owns a bike shop, who supported me, uh, Noah Levitt, who's my, uh, stupid winter ride partner ride riding partner friend who will go out in any weather um uh people people like that who will yeah really like it, it's so important to have people like that in your corner and i know there's always the stereotype like, oh, like it takes a village you've probably seen that hashtag yeah. on instagram um but it's really true i mean the you don't see all the people behind those people who are succeeding but there are a lot of people that that support them and so i think that's um yeah really really incredible to have in racing in life so definitely no that's really cool um yeah i'll stick links yeah to your instagram and stuff so people can follow you and see how you get on next year um thank you so much for coming on it's been great chatting and no doubt we'll see you soon 
Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, get back over to the UK soon or see you guys over in uh, in the US for some good mountain biking gravel racing. So definitely. All right. Cheers then. Bye. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the A-Line podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, then don't forget to tell your mates. Every share is massively appreciated on Instagram or any other social media platforms, as is a review on your podcast app of choice. Race season is kicking off soon, so be sure to keep a lookout for me at races and come say hi or shout some words of abuse or encouragement as I cycle past, perhaps. Anyway, until next time, ride fun and ride fast. Ride fast.